Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hey, my name is Ognan Georgiev. I'm editor at Bulgaria's Capital Weekly, and I'm actually a fellow with Visegrad Inside. Listen to me explaining how and when Bulgaria can change or will it not. Hello, this is 15th of November 2021. My name is Wojciech Przybylski. I'm editor-in-chief of Visegrad Inside. And here's our weekly outlook. Um, uh, our premier product at Visegrad Inside released every Monday and narrated through this podcast uh, ahead of the interview with special guests on Bulgarian elections. Today we're focusing, of course, on the crisis on the border, uh, EU border, um, uh, shared by Poland, Lithuania and Latvia with Belarus. Uh, on this border we see a buildup of both troops, now not only Belarusian troops, but also Russian troops, um, and buildup of camps for the migrants. More migrants um, imported and to be smuggled into EU are being transported as we speak uh, from Minsk, uh, from the airport where they are being shipped by by the planes, um, organized by regime of Mr. Lukashenko. And they are walking a difficult path uh, first through across Belarus. They're being also uh, brought by buses and then uh, they're put into the forests and swamps on the border with Poland and with Lithuania, making several attempts, assisted by uh, Belarusian uniformed servicemen uh, to cross illegally into the territory of Poland where uh, they are stopped or uh, when they are very unlucky, uh, they are uh, they are also being stuck in very unfavorable conditions, weather conditions with sub-zero temperatures, uh, with uh, high humidity, and often exactly in in the areas where there are swamps and, and rivers. So this is a humanitarian crisis, and also this is a security crisis. Um, we have seen European Union uh, parliamentary debate last week, uh, where uh, support has been expressed. There is uh, uh, there are additional resources uh, to be um, to be administered by the European Commission in the volume of 25 million euro to support the border uh, border protection efforts. There is also uh, increased attention from um, all political bodies. Today, as we speak, there is a minister of uh, ministers of defense meeting of the EU ministers of defense. Poland, Lithuania are considering to invoke Article Four, uh, Article Four of NATO to enable permanent consultation on uh, on the situation on the border with other NATO allies. There is a momentum definitely that we could uh, identify uh, that uh, brings uh, the alliance together, both uh, the EU bloc and NATO. Uh, there we, we see unprecedented in, um, uh, involvement of uh, of those international coalitions of uh, like-minded democracies to uh, resolve the situation, which uh, which risks potent the, the the risks are multifold, but uh, let us uh, undermine that that is this is primarily a security risk of breaching the border of unstable border at the eastern flank of NATO, and secondly, not less importantly, it's the humanitarian crisis with people. Uh, 
often children and women uh, freezing in terrible conditions, um, uh, abused by Belarusian servicemen on the orders of Mr. Lukashenko and his illegal government, and um, and, and also stopped at the border, uh, stopped after they cross illegally the border and turn back to the border uh, if their health um, conditions allow by the Polish uh, border servicemen who follow the um, uh, the new laws uh, enacted by the Polish parliament and the government. Now, this situation is going to be uh, quickly deteriorating um, if the more sanctions are not put on Belarus. Uh, there is a potential response being considered in Poland that could uh, stop uh, freight, uh, train freight through Belarus from China and other Asian um, destinations. Uh, that's, uh, that freight is controlled in, uh, in a port a train port in Malashovice, uh, where 90% of traffic of that sort comes through. And this train line goes through Belarus, um, but the port, the actual handling of the traffic is being done on the Polish side. Now, Poland has been recently vocal about considering this option. It would not do it unilaterally. It needs the EU to come together uh, with a decision of that sort, at least credible threat to Belarus, because then Belarus um, will be pressured from both sides. And as we have heard in September, Mr. Lukashenko was very, very um, interested in, in ensuring his Chinese partners that this fight is not going to be um, experiencing any uh, difficulties despite the, the the border crisis that is sponsored by him in um, on the Polish Belarusian border. We'll see how this is, the situation develops. As I said, this would require a common response by all all the uh, European partners because it impacts the economies not only of Poland but but the traffic would be impacted uh, across the border. The other responses that we already see are uh, to a certain extent effective are uh, are contacts between the EU and uh, the destination uh, the, the the source countries not the destination but source countries of uh, of the that that bring in people who want to get through to the through the border. And the flights from Turkey has been suspended for several national. Uh, um, uh, for, for, there is a similar response from Iraq. There are also talks about uh, providing flights back uh, from Belarus to those who found themselves in this impossible situation in Belarus after uh, paying the the fee that was supposedly in their eyes uh, to be to be the service fee for delivering. Uh, individuals to uh, to the EU and specifically to the points of destination, often in uh, in other parts of the EU than Poland, uh, in in Germany, for instance. So this situation um, is developing. Uh, at the same time, there is still limited access to information from the Polish side because of state of exception that prohibits that Polish government is discussing uh, new provisions uh, after the state of ex um, this this state of emergency is expired in 
early December uh, that would allow uh, journalists to be back on the border. Journalists are actually making it to the border, to the um, exclusion zone uh, also, but it's become easier for them to be to find themselves on the other side uh, of the fence where Belarusians enabled several um, correspondents to be there and film the misery and, and, and terrible conditions uh, the people are uh, kept uh, under uh, to, uh, of course, put more pressure on the public opinion uh, regarding this crisis. This, uh, this has been seen and Poland is making a strategic mistake by not allowing journalists um, to, uh, to, the very, to the very vicinity and uh, potentially losing a momentum of um, um, uh, in this information war uh, that is definitely ongoing, um, where Poland is uh, is not uh, greatly positioned when it comes to the uh, rule of law and freedom of media, of course, but still there is a considerable sympathy towards uh, the activities on the Polish side because there is a recognition that this is um, this is a hybrid operation by Belarus and Russia. Russia at the same time are uh, amassing troops and tanks on the border with Ukraine, adding uh, more pressure um, on the eastern flank or the eastern parts of of, um, of Europe. The likely motive is just like before in the previous years uh, to facilitate and to speed up the Nord Stream 2 operations, which are currently halted. The pipeline is ready physically or nearly ready. But its um, decisions to to start its operations and the legal conditions are still being disputed, um, including the uh, pressure uh, pro from the uh, antitrust, anti-monopoly um, uh, agencies, including Polish agencies, and um, and also this is also part of the talks uh, within the next German coalition. So this situation is very intense. It is um, it is on the spotlight. Uh, we've been commenting on that for the international media throughout the last week. Um, but uh, frankly speaking, um, the the big steps, the the real steps, uh, are are now to be taken by Poland to uh, to ensure that there is access to information. This is going to be uh, very difficult, uh, given the fact that on the seventeenth of November, constitutional tribunal um, will. Uh, decide about Polish Freedom of Information Act, which it is very likely will uh, limit further the freedom of media in Poland, will free limit the freedom of access to information by uh, rendering some of the uh, some of the passages in the law um, as violating privacy of people who are signing contracts and their contracts that are funded from the state budget. This is being seen as a potential uh, further threat, systemic threat to the uh, freedom of uh, information, freedom of media in Poland and may actually be very damaging for the situation again um, uh, on the border, although two things are not immediately um, uh, intertwined, but uh, the overall intention and attitude of the Polish government towards the media is uh, known and, and recognized as a well hostile at best in um, within certain parameters of of the political process. So uh, that depends 
this de development will uh, likely determine uh, how uh, also Poland is going to be perceived and how much uh, public opinion in other European countries is going to stand uh, in united in, in the response or it will uh, divide, uh, be divided and will put more pressure on uh, Poland uh, to uh, to re to to uh, redo its approach, its uh, change its approach, and then Poland is likely to be on the uh, on the defense uh, and rather pressured uh, than supported by the allies in NATO and EU. This is a risk situation. This is not yet happening, but uh, as I was uh, explaining, this is a, a potential of what may happen. Other news in Central Europe: um, Slovakia is uh, Slovakia president Zuzana Chaputova is going to visit uh, um, President uh, Miloš Zeman of the Czech Republic on Tuesday, 16th of November. Uh, she is going to uh, do that ahead of the 32nd anniversary of the Velvet Revolution that you unites both nations in uh, in their strife for freedom and uh, at the same time Slovakia prime minister is discussing with the Ukrainian counterpart the possibility of increasing gas supply of natural gas to Ukraine on the so-called reverse flow uh, in the in the situation when Russia uh, Russia's Gazprom is still keeping uh, the gas um, gas pipelines dry uh, first uh, through Yamal pipeline through Belarus but also through through Ukraine and and it's coming uh, apparently it's going to be a, a cold winter and trouble winter with a lot of political pressure attached um, Russian style to to the uh, to this energy um, uh, topic of other news um, perhaps also noteworthy is is a visit of the uh, Hungarian prime minister expected to land today in Poland for a Polish-Hungarian football match. Mr. Orban is a known football fan. He organized football matches um, uh, completely ignoring uh, the pandemic um, during last year. And he's now expected also to visit Poland uh, for the football match, but of course also to meet with the Polish counterparts officially or unofficially uh, ahead of what is being planned, a meeting of the far-right uh, summit uh, early December that we also mentioned in the outlook where Mr. Jarosław Kaczynski is expecting to uh, host uh, politicians like his Hungarian uh, 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 partner, but also Matteo Salvini, Giorgia Meloni, Santiago Abascal uh, in an effort, uh, apparently, I mean declaratively, in an effort to build a new political platform within the EU. That's all for today, and I think this is the uh, best time now to uh, advertise, to read through the whole the the, the whole of our weekly outlook. Uh, it's on our page, available for regular subscribers. And also, now let me invite you to the interview on the uh, quite surprising and hopeful um, results of the Bulgarian elections. Our special guest for the interview this week is Ogan Georgiev. Um, he's an analyst and journalist with Capital Insights uh, in Sofia in Bulgaria. And also, as of this year, uh, Visegrad Insight fellow, part of uh, Marching Krul Fellowship. Um, 
we recorded uh, the interview last night, um, 14th of November, right after the exit polls brought a dramatic uh, end, as I early, uh, earlier mentioned, a very optimistic result, uh, positioning the underdog party. We continue the change of two Harvard graduates on, on top of the yeah, of the likelihood of the of the probability rankings of who is going to be the leader of the new governing coalition. So uh, let's dive into the topic. So we're talking right after the um, the first exit polls, and still the results are not clear. By the time we release this podcast, most likely we will know the the exact results. But it seems that the underdog new party. Uh, made it to the top, if not the first, that at least second with very strong results. The, we continue the change. Technical uh, government-led uh, party uh, is now going to be the kingmaker of, the, of Bulgaria. Isn't that so? Well, it looks like they fulfilled their own prophecy, which was, uh, we are here to change things. And they are here to change things. Uh, it seems that they will get the chance to do so, because in my opinion, uh, those are exit polls, of course. And, but um, keep in mind that exit polls are not very correct when, um, uh, when they record the public opinion, when they have a dominant ruling party for the last 12 years. So my expectation is in the, the end results, uh, GERP will actually come second. This is only my feeling. I cannot prove it at this point, but I think that uh, we continue to change my end up as the big winners. Now, this means two things. <clears throat> First, this will be the second election of the three this year that will see GERP come second. Uh, GERP has not, before those two elections, and if, if they prove second in this election, GERP has not lost an election in the past decade. So um, this is a sea change in Bulgarian politics. To, to explain, you need to look at, they won the first election after they fall from power in, in, the, in April. Then they lost to the newcomer then, which was a showman's party uh, called There Is Such a People. They failed um, embarrassingly and spectacularly to do anything with their new mandate, which was given, uh, giving hope to GERP that they can come back. And now their second election and GERP, even if they don't come up second, they will fight for the first place, which means that we are now seeing the permanent um, loss of control of GERP over the Bulgarian political cycle, which I think, which I think will be immensely important in the in the in the, in the coming months. And second, um, if and when we continue the change, um, end up first or second doesn't matter. They will get a mandate to rule, uh, which will be uh, possibly their um, opportunity to prove that they are different. So those are the two things that come to mind first. Now, I can go into details, but you can ask me, of course. Yeah, that is going to be really an interesting dynamics to see in Bulgaria, especially that exactly 12 years of, uh, of the um, status quo, as we have seen, has brought only stability of 
corruption, breaking of rule of law. And as of summer this year, or summer last year, we have had a continuous pressure from the from the street protests, um, but also then followed up by uh, sanctions, Magnitsky Act invoked um, on uh, several in Bulgaria. We have seen, in general, backsliding in Bulgaria. That was, I think... Uh, underreported, but no less severe than than in other countries of Central Europe like Hungary and Poland. Bulgaria, in a way, benefited from the umbrella of being, you know, part of with GERB on board, part of the main establishment in the European Parliament, in on the European scene. That is the European People's Party. It shielded uh, the government partly, and it also uh, wasn't so spectacular like in case of Hungary and Poland. So, po- so Bulgaria was not so much in the focus, but things weren't going so well. Now, I wanted to ask you, what would be, in your opinion, the program, we continue the change, that, that could uh, reverse the trends, that could potentially you know, uh, bring Bulgaria um, essentially some progress uh, rather than backsliding? It's very interesting. So the two guys known in Bulgaria as the Harvards, because they both graduated in Harvard, um, they were always keen, because I know them for some time ago, uh, they were always keen to promote the, uh, how, uh, the American spirit of how to do things, like to, to, to just complete your, your missions, if you want, which is a very Harvard way to, 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 to look at the world. You do know what I mean. Uh, but it's not, of course, the, the Balkan way. Neither it's the Bulgarian way. Neither is Central and Eastern European way of looking at the world. Um, now, their intent and the way they campaigned was that they want Bulgaria's new brand to be corruption zero. Now, this is a major, <laughs> major promise for a country that's known for having huge problems with corruption. The country has just been slapped with Magnitsky Act for for a huge government corruption. Um, but even if, to put it this way, even if they don't succeed in this, which will be, a, of course, an immense task, given that they will have a coalition government, to, to say the least. So a coalition government is not the same as um, your own government. So they will have to balance this. But even in this case, the fact that people who are openly saying this are now coming on top, shows that there is a will in Bulgaria to actually change things, which is a good step. Now, how will they go about this? Um, for example, uh, both of them were ministers in the caretaker government for four months, and they've actually achieved quite a lot in those four months, which is why they're getting the result they're getting now, which, which shows that they they actually can deliver on some of those promises. Now, there are people who are saying that this is that they will run empty at some point because all the things that are easily achieved has already been achieved or have already been put on the table. There is no nothing such spectacular thing that they can be put on the table and then just suddenly solves the complete problem with the corruption in Bulgaria. Uh, in my opinion, we are in we are in a state that is so deeply rotten in its core. Uh, the state has been so deeply entrenched in the corruption ways that any progress towards dragging those schemes out in the light and then letting them die off is going to be a major change in Bulgarian uh, in Bulgarian scene. If you if you look at it, we are not so 
hard to reform. It's not so hard to reform things. If you take away the layer of people who are there to benefit themselves, which is not a large layer of people, I should say, then things should be moving in the right direction. Now, this is my opinion. Of course, they might have their own opinion, but, uh, but let's see. So uh, let's now take a context of uh, European politics uh, and uh, how, uh, I mean, Bulgaria is seen today more on the margins, right? Of, uh, also because of the dynamics of the trends that we, we just described. But I, th- I have two questions that actually um, position Bulgaria in the very center of European politics. And one is the uh, situation or the tensions with North Macedonia. This is the big question of Bulgaria um, positioning in the in the region altogether, but also influencing the agenda of, of the European Union. And secondly, we can talk a little bit about the party politics, uh, but maybe let's go into that uh, one by one. So uh, does this government, the, the, the future government, of course, we still are deliberating on the composition, but some assuming that the we continue the change are there, doesn't mean anything and doesn't mean any change for the situation uh, between Bulgaria and North Macedonia. First of all, let us put on the table that we continue to change, have a long way to go before forming a government. They need to form a, they need to get a, a mandate first, they need to form a coalition, they need to enter in negotiations with this coalition and then in the end... Uh, form a government and rule. This is not an easy process, as has been shown in the last several months in Bulgaria. Uh, the other parties failed in this, uh, in the previous elections, which is why we are having this election now. Um, now, Macedonia is a very different topic. I would put Macedonia as a topic a little bit, um, a little bit how to how to put it a little bit um, aside from aside from um, the other topics because it's a very romantic topic to a lot of Bulgarians. Um, you might not know this, but a lot of Bulgarians trace their um, uh, their lineage back to Macedonia. Uh, they have uh, uh, family there and stuff like that. So it's a romantic and close to the heart topic for a lot of Bulgarians, but it also is very hot political topic to a lot of people in the political sphere. Some of them are going to be in the government, I assume. Um, So to expect a quick change of the Bulgarian position on North Macedonia is not something that I would bet on. What I would bet on is that there, once we have a regular government, there will be a much more visible sign towards the Macedonian side that we can negotiate if you move in the right direction and you fulfill some of the steps that Bulgaria have been requesting you to step, now you have a partner that is w- willing to listen and there might be some breakthrough. But I wouldn't bet on this being the first issue that they care about. Sure. Now, the second thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and I still think, yes, uh, how things go with North Macedonia and what role Bulgaria will play will definitely be very impactful on the whole of uh, of the EU. The second point related also to European policy, uh, Bulgaria was preparing or discussing the perspective of, of uh, going to Eurozone, hasn't it? And now we're having, again, kind of confirmation that the economic 
financial leadership um, with two guys very much capable of uh, delivering, as we heard from you or your description, uh, are going to be steering the economic and financial agenda and as well as the political one. So do you think this is going to be a topic? Uh, this is going to be a way for Bulgaria now? I think it is a topic. People are discussing the Eurozone. People are discussing how and when Bulgaria will enter the Eurozone. Um, there is a uh, timetable that now sets to 2024 as a date for entering in the Eurozone, but it is uh, not a final timetable. It all depends on how the political class will actually move. Um, from what I know and from what I heard, I cannot say that they are against Eurozone in any way. So my, my suspicion would be that they will keep on moving the country in this direction. Now, how and, and, and when will they tackle the public debate about this is something that they will need to, to think hard on. I wouldn't expect any sudden movements on this front, though, because for now everything's flowing in the right direction. Now is an inflation time, crisis time. It's not a good time to start those uh, negotiations and debates because least of all Bulgaria has debt to service and it doesn't want to go into public debates about when and how it will enter the Eurozone because markets are very volatile. Uh, so I would, I would think that they would wait a bit. I mean, even if they form a government, they would wait a bit before going into this discussion because this is an expert discussion that needs to be framed and then it needs to go um, with a public face with somebody who people trust and they will need to listen from, from them. But this is, this is, again, something that they will need to tackle probably a little bit down the line, mm-hmm. not, not immediately, because immediately you have other problems, as we already discussed. Now, w- w- the final question and the final po- point, we are pretty optimistic now about the situation in Bulgaria, that there is a, indeed a chance for a change, a change in this situation of Bulgaria is, is more likely for good. Also breaks a stalemate and, of course, a third, third election. We have a saying in Poland, uh, you try it for the three times and the third time must be successful. So fingers crossed for that. But if you were to enumerate three things that may go wrong from the point of view of political party game, but also from, you know, we have COVID still, the, the vaccination problems, the uh, the numbers are not very encouraging in Bulgaria to the opposite, actually. So what can get, go wrong so, so that actually um, there will be no continued change? That's a very good question. Uh, there is lots that can go wrong. This is the short, the short answer is lots can go wrong. And it has been going wrong in the past several months. The first thing that can go wrong, of course, is that there will be no coalition government. It's very easy to assume that they will just fail in their prospect of forming a coalition government. There might be another election in three, three months' time. So we don't know. We, we are in the situation where they're promising to be better than the last party that won, which was, as I said, the showman's party. They promise to be better than them. Are they? This is going to be a, a huge topic in the next several weeks. Assuming that this goes right, then you have several things that can go wrong. First, there is still the big question of how do you um, how do you make the judiciary independent? How do you make the big question about Bulgaria corruption and the Bulgarian 
legal system is how do you make the prosecution service work? The prosecution service in Bulgaria is not working at the moment. How do you make it work? It's not an easy question. It's again a question of coalition building. So this is second thing that might go wrong because whatever you promise, if you cannot deliver on the basic thing that you want to, to, to move the country towards the zero corruption, then all your other promises will fail. Uh, and then the third thing is, of course, COVID. COVID is a major factor. Bulgaria has seen disastrous level of COVID deaths. Uh, there is nothing that can be done now because the trend is already where it is. It's actually going down a little bit. So I expect this to, 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 to keep on for some time. How they, how they tackle this, how they tackle the, the, the health crisis is a big question. And of course, it's going to be a very hard winter. It's going to be an energy crisis winter. And it's going to be a winter with a heavy inflation tack on it. So this is going to hit whoever comes in, in power next. So your, big, your first several months will be a hell of a ride. I mean, you need to tackle an energy crisis, a health crisis, you need to change the judiciary, and you will be under attack by the still powerful status quo and it's uh, outside. So I wouldn't envy anybody who's in the driving seat in the next several months. Yes, but we will be watching closely and fingers crossed that at least part of the continued change in a good direction can be really observed in Bulgaria. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you.